turning there and also in recognition that today is, uh, is New Year's Day, and I know many of you, you know, like uh, Bob and Diane were probably out partying late last night, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, I wanted to get us sort of thinking about what we're going to talk about today, so I got a little game for you guys. Okay, everybody can play this, so even you, Ben, you know, I, I made this game for you. So I'm going to say something, and I want you to say the opposite or the pair that goes with it, Okay. Wait for this, and this will be graded. Um, we will be turning these grades in, and um, yeah, so hopefully you do good on this one. So, okay, first one, left, right. Okay, good. I was originally going to say right first, but then I was like, well, what if someone says wrong? And then I was like, I better think about that. So, when you guys keep me honest. Um, next one, up. Good, good. You guys are doing great. I don't care what anyone says about your test-taking abilities. Sun. What? Moon? Okay, who said something else, though? Oh, man, you guys are way smarter than me. All right. I should have put those up on there so you could have read it. You guys got to help me out on this one. All right, and then the last one, life, death. Okay. Today, we're going to learn about life and death. Today, we're going to talk about, here's our big idea for the morning, is that we're going to learn that we're made alive by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul's going to help us understand that by first talking about death and then talking about life. And this passage, it's such an interesting passage in Ephesians 2 because Paul is going to use a lot of pairs and opposites. You're going to see corresponding pieces that fit together and you're going to see how grace reverses what we used to be. So turn your Bibles, hopefully you're already there, Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to be in verses 1 to 10. I'm going to read through the whole thing, and then, like we always do, we'll go back and, and work through it verse by verse. So this is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 10. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So like I said, we're going to talk today about being made alive by grace through faith and explore this metaphor of death and life and how this can help us to understand what Jesus accomplished by dying on the cross. So 
But before we get to life, we have to talk about death for a little bit. So in the first three verses, verses one to three there, and, and you can follow along in your outline, that once we were dead. I'm going to read verses one to three again. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. So the first thing I want us to see there is that once we were dead, but where were we dead? We were dead in our trespasses and our sins. We were in a state of being dead in our rebellion against the God of the universe. And, and what I want us to picture here, because this is a vivid metaphor, okay, but being dead in trespasses, trespasses and sins, what I want us to picture is, is filth of, you know, those ponds that look like they're a foot deep, but they're actually about four feet deep. I, when I was at camp one year, as high school, they gave us a project of cleaning up these, um, these plants that were, not, uh, that were not really local to the area. And when they were introduced, they spread everywhere and they were destroying the ecosystem. And so they had us help clean up. So we climbed through everything every pond on the place, and if you've seen camp, there's a lot of ponds, um, but there was this one pond in particular, and I kid you not, it looked about a foot deep, okay? I went in there, and most of us ended up stepping in, in leech nests, actually, um, so that was exciting. Um, I want you to picture a bunch of 15-year-olds stepping and having their feet covered in leeches, which is a new experience for some, but I went out a little farther, because I'm really smart, and, um, and I kept going, and I kept going down. And like I said, it looks this deep. I got done. Now, I'm not the tallest man in the world. I know some of you might have been confused by that. But I got stuck up to my waist in the muck and the mire and the mud to the point where I couldn't move. And the rest of my group had to come and <laughs> pull me out of there. But that's what I want us to picture here. Okay, it's not a nice place to be, to be dead in our sins and our trespasses. In every time we say to God, forget you, forget what you're saying, I'm doing my own thing, and we sin against the holy God of the universe. Okay, this is not a pretty picture. And also, just the idea of a metaphor about death, you think about that. There is nothing pleasant about something that is dead. Okay, it engages the five senses, and I think this is why it's such a good metaphor, is because you think about that. When something's dead, it smells bad, right? Um, if something's been decomposing, it starts to look gross. Um, it starts, you don't really want to poke it, but if you were to, it, that's gross, okay? And I'm sorry if it's a little, if it's gross this morning, but, but I think that's what Paul wants us to understand about our former life before Jesus, that it's gross, that we were dead, that we were decomposing in our own filth. And that's where we were. How else were we dead? Well, he says that we were following the world and following Satan. Look at verse 2. 
Uh, I'm going to read verse 1 as well. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins, verse 2, in which you once walked. That's a, that's a, uh, a way to talk about someone's life, um, using walking. In which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So in your life before Jesus, you were following this world, which world can have different meanings in, um, in the Bible. And sometimes it, it's referring to the sinful world that rebelled against God. And that's the meaning here. So talking about our life as humans rebelling against God naturally, that's how it's using it. And then when it says, the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, that's, that's a euphemism to talk about Satan. And that's who we were following. Okay. One of the things that this teaches us is that you always have a leader. You're never the front person in your life. There's always somebody ahead of you. There's always something that you worship and that you follow. And what Paul's telling us is that our default leader is a sinful world and Satan himself. That's who we follow. So while we're, while we're dead in our sins and our trespasses, we're following a leader who wants nothing to do with God. And that does never, going away from God never leads to life or anything good. And so for some of us today, we need to recognize that we all have a leader, whether we think we do or not. We always have someone that we worship, someone that makes us, uh, gives us life decisions and runs our lives, okay? Like having no religion is sort of a religion when you think about it. And so one of the things I want you to hear today is that don't kid yourself. A worship problem is not whether you worship or not, it's who you worship. And we all worship something, but we need to choose the right person to worship, and that's Jesus Christ. Next, when we were dead, we were living out the lusts of our flesh. Look at verse 3, the beginning of that. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. When we were dead, we lived for ourselves. We were motivated by our appetites and our cravings for sin, for rebelling against God. The passions of our flesh, I love that. I love that phrase, it's so vivid. But the idea is that our whole lives are about consuming what I want. Okay, uh, for those of you who, who, uh, who knew this, uh, some of us were in a little bit of a weight loss challenge. Um, we finally got the standings in. Uh, I finished in third, go bronze medal. Um, it was really the best I could do. There was a tight, you know, it was a tight race between me and Joe at the end for third and fourth. But that was about as good as we were going to do. But, um, but in that, okay, in, in losing weight, my biggest thing was I love food. For those of you who know me, you know that. Um, and it's not that I eat bad stuff. I just eat a whole ton of it. Okay, I'm really good at eating a lot of food. 
It's a spiritual gift, I think, but uh, <laughs> some people have other thoughts on that. But as I was reading this verse, I couldn't help but think about when I get hungry, right? And I know I'm not supposed to eat more. I know I'm supposed to not have that third hamburger or that 10th piece of fried chicken, whatever is your vice. You all know maybe that, that third chocolate sundae, maybe that's your thing. Um, be like, ooh, oh, and then you just focus on it. And you're just like, man, I really, really need that, right? <laughs> I need that. I've been good this week. I need that chocolate sundae, right? And you get talking like that, and that's the picture of this appetite to be in our filth, this appetite to just, this is what I want. We live for it. I need to do that. And that's where we're, and that's, that's no life. First of all, there's no purpose. When, when I read this verse, I can't help but see that when all we're doing is living for ourselves and our desires, that that's not really a purpose to life. There's no bigger plan to be a part of, no big mission. It's just what can I get and consume? But that's the picture that Paul paints of us before believing in Jesus. Next, I want us to see that when we were dead, we were objects of wrath. Look at the end of verse 3 there. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. When we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, we were guilty of rebelling against the king of the universe. Whether you not you believe he exists or not, we're all guilty. And the thing we need to understand, because sometimes we don't like to talk about wrath at church, or God's wrath especially, okay? But this wrath against us in our sin is totally just. That's the message of the Bible. That God is angry at us for our sins, and he's right to do so. And so before believing in Jesus, we are guilty. We deserve God's wrath and punishment. Now, a couple points of, of application on that. Of, I, I was thinking about two types of people when I was thinking about this, this, this part of, of Ephesians here. Usually we think of, you know, you've got people who grew up in a Christian family, in a church home, and maybe you came to Christ at a really early age, so you didn't really have any colorful years in your life, let's put it that way. Um, you didn't really have huge rebellion, um, you know, you didn't get suspended or expelled from school or anything like that, and sometimes it's easy to think that there was never a time when I was dead in my sins and my trespasses. And we get this idea that, well, at least I'm not that guy, or at least I'm not those people, okay? Uh, dangerous words to say. And so if that's you, because I, I know there, there are people like that, I'm, that's me, came to Christ in early age, good Christian home, and, and my temptation is to think, well, there wasn't really a time where I was that bad, you know, but we're all guilty. There's no, there's no sliding scale of holiness. It's not like we're trying to break the curve. Okay, it's not like, well, I got more points than them, so I get an A and they get a B minus. That's not how it works, right? Because the standard is the holy God of the universe. And so if that's you, maybe that's something you need to hear today, that 
It's not just being better than your neighbor. It's about attaining holiness through faith in Christ. Now, maybe, maybe you have what we might call a more colorful past. Um, maybe you did things you're not proud of. Maybe you came to Christ uh, later in life and, and made some poor decisions. Maybe that's you. I think the warning here for you is don't go back. Because all there is is death back there. There's no life left. Sure, you might have had some fun for a little bit, but it's not real. And, and as I was thinking about this passage and Joe was preaching about Moses, if you guys remember, he, he uh, did a sermon on how Jesus is like Moses. I was thinking about the people of Israel. Okay, because I, I always go back to my Old Testament stories here. Um, and what, what it made me think about was how all the time Israel was complaining and saying, let's go back to Egypt, right? You remember that? Because they were hungry, because they didn't have water, because they didn't have meat. And they were saying, let's go back to Egypt. That's sort of crazy when you think about it. Hey, let's go back to being slaves. Let's go back to being beat and totally mistreated because there's food back there. Let me read you from Numbers 11. Okay, I know, you, I know you all, that's your favorite book of the Bible, book of Numbers. Um, Numbers 11, verses 4 to 5. If it makes you feel better, the original title would be In the Wilderness, which I think sounds better as for that book, because Numbers sounds a little boring. But um, this is from Numbers 11, 4 to 5. Now the rabble that was among them had a strong craving. Okay, craving. Talking about craving to sin. Well, now we're talking about food craving. And the people of Israel also wept again and said, Oh, that we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. So pretty much what they're saying when you read that is, um, they had really cheap fish because they're on the Nile, and we could have cucumbers, melon, onions, and garlic. Let's go back to being slaves for garlic. When you think about it, that's what they're saying. They were so controlled by their cravings for food because God had provided manna. They could live. Yeah, it's boring to eat the same thing day, day, and day. But they're complaining because they don't have meat. Okay, and I love meat just like the next guy. But is getting meat and garlic worth being a slave? I don't think so. And so we get in the story of Israel what, what my, one of my professors would call a physical reminder of a spiritual truth. And so we see in their lives how we want to go back to our old lives, to the slavery to sin, which if you read Romans 6, that's how Paul describes it, as being slaves. It's not an accident. But we want to go back because of those cravings, because of those desires of the flesh, and we're always tempted to go back. I'm saying don't go back. Don't go back to slavery because that's what's there. Slavery to sin and death. Now, that's the bad news. Okay, that's, this is the harsh part of this text. Sometimes the Bible says harsh things to us. And it's okay because sometimes 
to understand how great the news is, we have to understand how bad it was. Okay, so in the second part, in verses 4 to 10, we're going to see that now we're alive. So once we were dead, and now we're alive. Let me read verses 4 to 10 here. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So once we were dead, but now we've been made alive. And how have we made, been made alive? First, I want to see we've been made alive with Christ. So we were dead in our trespasses and sins, but now we're alive with Christ. See the reversal there? Look at verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And, and I love how, how Paul wrote this when it says, he's saying all this bad stuff, all this stuff about death, all this stuff about rebellion. And then he says, but God. So when everything was at his worst, when it was hopeless, when we were wallowing in our filth, God came in. But God. What did he come with? How did he save the day? First of all, he saved the, saved the day by being rich in mercy. Again, that's the, that's the word used to talk about God's actions to us. It's merciful. It's not being treated like we should. He's showing us mercy. Why? Because of his great love. So because God loves us, he shows us mercy. Even when we were dead, Paul reminds us. So before we get a big head about God coming to our rescue, he reminds us, remember, you were dead. That's when God came in and saved the day. And how? By grace. By grace, you have been saved. So God shows us mercy and grace prompted by his love, even when we were dead in our sins. And the, the have been saved there, um, this will be our grammar, grammar lesson of this morning. I, I know some of you like it, at least. At least you've told me, so maybe you lied to me, but that's okay. Um, but the tense there, we call that the perfect tense for all you English majors out there. And the idea is, is that you're in a, it's, it's, you're in a state, okay? And that you are something because of a past completed action, okay? Now, if you're a really English major, um, I'll tell you that Greek uses aspect to talk about tense rather than time, but we can talk about that later. Um, I know we have some teachers and English people in here. 
but the idea is there was this past, past action, Jesus dying on the cross and rising again. And because of that, we are in a state of being saved. And why that's important and why I bring that up is not just so I can talk about aspect theory from the pulpit, even though that's really cool. But the idea is, is that there's certainty, that there is assurance in that word, that the work is done, and we have it, not because of what we did, but because of work completed by Christ. And since it isn't reliant on us, we know that it is sure. We know that it is certain hope. And so when it says, you have been saved, you are saved because of the work of Christ. How else are we made alive? We're made alive in the heavenly realms. So we're no longer dead in our sins and our trespasses, but we are now alive with Christ in the heavenly realms. Look at verse 6. And raised us up with him and seated us with him, that's with Christ, in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And the idea here, why this is important, is it's because our future is so secure that it's like we're already sitting in heaven with Jesus. Because what is described there, being raised up and seated in the heavenly realms, is exactly what is said about Jesus in, in chapter 1, verse 20. Let me read that to you. That God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand, where? In the heavenly places. And so God's saying, look, through Paul, God is saying, your salvation is so secure, it's like you're already sitting down next to Jesus. And we experience the same movement that Jesus did. Next, we're made alive and we're turned into objects of grace. So before, we were objects of wrath. And the reversal is now, because of Christ, we receive grace. Look at verses 7 and 9. So that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So the first thing I want us to see is that the purpose of God saving us in this verse is so that in the future, God can show us how immeasurable, how wonderful, how rich, and how amazing his grace is. Okay, we've talked about this before at the beginning of verse 7, the so that. Is, is a purpose word there, showing the purpose. So in one sense, one of God's goals for eternity is to show you love and grace. So on God's cosmic to-do list is, well, I think I'm going to show some more grace today. Check. Nailed it. You know? So the God of the universe who created all things wants to, for eternity, show you love and grace an infinite amount. And he can do this because grace is a gift of God. 
so it's not what we earn. No matter how many times we hear that, we still try to earn it, don't we? But it's not by works. Why? So that no one can boast. So no one can say, look how awesome I am. I must be really great because God loves me. And the message of the Bible is that God loves you because he's great. But it also shows us that the Christian life is one of humility. Because the beginning of our life is grace. The beginning of our new life in Christ is a gift. And so we need to be humble. Especially humble towards God, but also humble towards each other. Because we all got in the same way. God's not lucky to have us and not lucky to have others. It's not how it works. We're all lucky to have God. (laughs) But the boasting is why at the heart of every other religion, of every other world system, human effort is at the heart of it. Every other religion, you have to earn your way in. It's because we really want to be at the center and say, look how great I am that I earned this. Pride is such an easy sin, isn't it? But we want to be at the center. But God says, no, I'm at the center because you're saved by grace through faith. And that's an amazing gift. That what we deserved was wrath, but what we got was grace. So now what do we do with this new life? Verse 10. We live out the good works that God prepared for us. So instead of, from before, instead of just living out for our own desires and consumption, and instead of following this world and Satan, we're to follow Jesus and to live in service to God and others. See how the reversal there? Our purpose changed because we actually get purpose. We have a purpose and a mission, and that is to do the good works God has given us to do. Look at verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Well, you notice both verse 2 and verse 10 talking about walking. And so we see the reversal. So instead of living our lives, following the prince of this world and the sin of this world, we follow Jesus, and he's given us a mission. And, and we are all created special by God, for we are his workmanship. We were all created with unique uh, talents and characteristics. Now, this doesn't mean that you can blame any mistakes on, well, that's just how God made me, okay? That's for another time to talk about that. But, but I think some of us need to hear that God made you exactly the way that he did. That there's nothing wrong with you. That the gifts that you have may not be the gifts of others, but God says, I don't care about that. I made you the way that I did with the gifts I gave you. And what has he prepared? He's prepared good works for us to do. 
So our specialness, our uniqueness, is intimately tied with the good works God has given us to do. So it's not simply just, God made me, I'm awesome. It's, God made me, I'm awesome, and he gave me specific jobs that he wants me to do. Specific service to him and his people and to those who don't know him that he has given just me to do. That's where our specialness is. And that we finally have a purpose. It's not just getting and consuming anymore. We have a goal. We have a reason. We have a purpose, a mission. And so we're made alive not just to stand there, but to get walking. A couple thoughts to conclude with, and then we'll move to communion. First is this, is that when you put your faith in Jesus, everything changes. And the change is as dramatic as being dead and then being alive. Two complete opposites. That's what happens when you put your faith in Christ, is you were dead, now you're alive. Next, we said this before, but, but don't go back. Don't go back to Egypt. Don't go back to being enslaved to your sin and rebellion to God. It's hard. Life is hard. Book of Revelation always talks about to the one who overcomes or to the one who conquers. Paul talks about how he trains like an athlete so he won't be disqualified from life. The Christian life is hard. And so there will always be temptation to go back. To say we had free fish and garlic back there, so it's worth being a slave. But it never is. There's no life back there. For those of us who have accepted Jesus and accepted that grace through faith, we need to be reminded that our future is safe and secure. That God has us and no one can take us out of his hand. That we serve the God of the universe and that we are his in a perfect way. Next, we need to be humble and teachable. No matter how much you've learned, no matter how long you've been a believer, there's always more to be learned and more to be taught. And because we all are made alive by grace, none of us are perfect. Because if we were perfect, we wouldn't need grace, but we all need grace. And so we need to be humble and teachable. We were objects of wrath deserving punishment, but God made us objects of grace. And so humility is one of the greatest characteristics that we can have. And then lastly, let me say this. Follow Jesus and do the work he has given you. It's your work. It's especially prepared for you. And it's God's, in a sense, it's God's gift to you that he's enlisted you into his service. And that's an amazing thing. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for this text. We thank you 
that when everything looked hopeless, you came in and you saved us. When we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, you made us alive with Christ in the heavenly realms. God, that we would never forget that we're saved by grace through faith, that it's a gift that we have no place to boast. And God, that we would not just stand there with our lives, that we would get walking, that we would follow you with the mission you have prepared for us. That before we even knew it, you planned out good works for us to do. And you gave us the gifts to do those good works. God, that we would be obedient and that we would strive to follow you and to complete the job that you have given to us. And God, as, as we have heard from your word about your grace, God, that as we take communion, you would help us to recognize the picture of grace that communion represents. God, we thank you for these two gifts of your word and communion. Praise in your name, amen. Uh, at this time, I'll have the, those helping with communion come up to the front. As, as they're coming up, um, when we, we do communion, I read from uh, 1 Corinthians 11, at least when I do it, I know Joe does, has on occasion. But today, I wanted to read the larger passage in which those familiar words are contained. So this is from, this is from 1 Corinthians 11, and it's going to be verses 23 to 30. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread... And drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. Now, a lot of times we read that last section first, and we actually flip the order. And so what I, I wanted to read the whole thing today to show us that because of the truth of what communion represents, that's why we have to examine ourselves before we take it. Why? Because look at the verse right before, verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So he talks about proclaiming the gospel, and then he talks about examining. And so one of the biggest reasons 
that we need to examine our hearts and confess our sins to God is because we are, in a sense, reenacting and proclaiming the gospel through what we do here. And none of us wants to be a hypocrite. None of us wants to proclaim wrongly the gospel of Jesus. And so, as we pass out the bread, as we pass out the wine, examine your hearts because what we do here is not just about us celebrating our communion with God and with one another, but it's also proclaiming to each other and to the world the gospel. Now, here at Chillicothe Bible Church, we practice that if you are a believer in Jesus, you believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose again for your sins. And if you put your faith in him and accepted that grace, we, we invite you to have communion with us, even if you don't uh, belong to our church as a member. Um, but we do ask that, that you be a believer in Jesus um, if you're going to take communion with us. So we'll pass out the bread, we'll eat it together, we'll do the same thing with the cup.
me read again from 1 Corinthians 11. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. for the bread which represents your body that through taking the bread we remind ourselves and remind each other that you came as our substitute that you were a man just like us and because of that you were able to take our sins and our guilt onto your body and die as our substitute thank you for that Amen. The juice represents the blood of Christ. The Bible tells us without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. Another physical reminder of spiritual truth from the Old Testament was the sacrificial system. That animals died on behalf of the people of Israel, pointing forward to the ultimate Lamb of God, Jesus Christ, who ultimately paid the price. So no more sacrifice had to be done. He died once and for all for us. And when we take this, this juice, we remember the blood that was shed.
Let me read one more time from 1 Corinthians 11. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's drink together. God, we thank you for the juice which represents your blood spilt for us. That through your blood, you made a new covenant, a better covenant, a perfect covenant. You made a way for us to be put back in right relationship with God. And God, that we, that we would never forget the death your son went through to make peace between God and sinful men. And God, that you give it to us so freely by your grace. We thank you for that. In your name, amen. We're going to close with song, so why don't you stand, and I'll walk back up the stairs.